This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 184 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest this week is Mark Goodman, managing director at Mass Mutual Ventures. Mark shares the story of his circuitous path in the VC world with stops along the way at a family furniture business and a PhD in philosophy. We'll find out what it takes for a hopeful startup to catch his eye, whether or not he thinks cyber continues to be a hot area for investment, as well as his thoughts on what it takes to be a successful venture capital investor. Stay with us. I've had a um, a long and circuitous journey, Um, definitely not a straight line. I started my career at a bank in Chicago. It was called First Chicago, which has now uh, since been subsumed into uh, Chase. I was accepted into a program there called the First Scholar Program. Um, They brought in a group of uh, recent college graduates. Um, To get into the program, you had to get into either the University of Chicago or Northwestern University's MBA program. Um, we went at night, um, four quarters a year, all year round. So we finished in two and a half years and concurrently we did six or five, six month rotations, um, at the bank and, and they, they, mine ranged from, um, capital markets. I did foreign exchange options. I did, uh, real estate. I did credit analysis. I did what else, uh, syndications and asset sales. So get, you know, fairly broad exposure to, um, corporate finance and capital markets, uh, while doing the MBA at night and um, finished that uh, in uh, two and a half years, 30 months, and took a permanent position, um, which ended up not being very long, but um, uh, finished the program, went permanent, as they said, uh, in Manhattan, uh, moved from Chicago to Manhattan, and um, stayed there for another six months or so and decided that uh, I was ready to get back to Boston and do something more um, more entrepreneurial. Uh, so I came back mm-hmm. to Boston and um joined a family business, actually a retail uh, furniture business, which is what my my father, brother, and grandfather uh, had all done, um, discovered that I did not, in fact, have the retail gene and um, decided to pursue something totally different. Um, I had developed an interest in philosophy uh, as an undergrad, and uh, I decided to get a master's degree in philosophy. Long story short, while I was there, I was encouraged to uh, applied to the PhD program, which I did and got in. And so I ended up um, doing a PhD in philosophy. I uh, taught as a uh, doctoral candidate uh, for a couple of years. I taught subsequently um, uh, as a lecturer after I got the uh, PhD at uh, at Boston College. Um, But ultimately um, realized or decided that uh, I wasn't going to be able to make a living as an academic philosopher, at least not the kind of living I wanted to make. And uh, Mm -hmm decided to move on. And fortunately, I had that that first Chicago uh, and MBA experience kind of sitting in the bank there. And I was able, after um, a few false starts and uh, career gyrations, um, found myself with an opportunity to get into venture capital in a kind of some, semi-random way. Um, I had become friendly with a very successful um, uh, entrepreneur and um, we had some common interests, uh, common friends, just be, you know, became acquaintances. And I saw that he was doing a lot of angel investing in a very uh, sort of casual way. And so I thought about how we might turn his hobby into a business. And I, I made a proposal to him uh, and I got about 30 seconds into my pitch and he said, great, let's do it. 
And um, all of a sudden, I found myself as a venture capitalist and uh, uh, not knowing really anything about it, subsequently making pretty much every mistake you can possibly make uh, <laughs> as an early stage investor. Um, I, won't, I won't list them all here, but um, suffice to say that uh, I, I made, I think, all the normal ones. I think I invented some new ones. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, that was a good experience. Um, even if it was you know, the blind leading the blind, um, we eventually gained some some sight and um, those mistakes, painful as they were at the time, um, I think have probably shaped how I look at opportunities um, even today. Uh, eventually, um, now I, I should mention that um, one of our first investments was in cybersecurity back in 2004 in an uh, intrusion prevention uh, company. Um, mm. So that was my introduction to cybersecurity. Ended up uh, you know, seeing a fair amount of deals then, not focusing on it uh, Exclusively, but but was certainly um, became uh, more and more aware of what was going on in the cybersecurity world. My partner, uh, the capital partner, um, ended up um, uh, jumping into that company. and was having some trouble. Um, he fixed it and uh, ended up getting acquired by McAfee. Um, I spun out, started my own small shop um, in uh, Kendall Square, Cambridge. I got interested in in clean tech and advanced materials and. Um, did uh, some deals there with a group of investors. Um, did not go very well. Um, I think the strategy, the clean tech uh, sector, um, did not uh, play out uh, very well, and I was um, no exception to that. Um, but uh, um, during that process, um, got in touch with uh, a friend of mine who had been running um, Siemens Venture Capital, and I, had, you know, was sort of uh, discussed uh, deals from time to time. And um, he said, "Hey, I'm talking to." Uh, Mass Mutual, uh, they want to start a venture capital group. Would you have an interest? And uh, I didn't know much about Mass Mutual at the time, and um, but I said, yeah, I'd love to, love to at least talk to them. And that's how um, my colleague, uh, partner um, Eric Emmons, and I ended up uh, joining Mass Mutual to start a venture capital fund for them. And we should mention that um, Mass Mutual uh, invested in Recorded Future, um, so they're one of the companies that you uh, championed throughout your career. That is true. Um, an early investment, uh, Record Future was an early investment. Um, uh, Rich Miner at uh, Google Ventures, who uh, provided the seed capital to Christopher Alberg at, at uh, Recorded Future, um, is, a, is a friend of mine, good friend of mine. And um, when we were, when I set up the fund at Mass Mutual, we were discussing uh, possible you know, Google Ventures portfolio companies that might be a good fit for what we were doing. And um, I'll say that the the idea behind Mass Mutual Ventures is to well, make money to, to be good venture capitalists. And we do report up right. to our um, you know, chief investment officer who gives us uh, balance sheet capital and expects, um, you know, top quartile, um, you know, venture capital asset class returns. So we are, we are investors. Um, but we certainly take advantage of the fact that we're in a Fortune 100 financial services company with um, very deep pockets of expertise that we can tap uh, for due diligence purposes Um deal flow purposes. Um, and that also, um, that we can use, uh, frankly, for the benefit of our portfolio companies to help our portfolio companies, uh, make the right connections inside mass mutual and its subsidiaries like bearings and more broadly in the industry to, you know, get early deals, get contracts, uh, those really difficult, uh, you know, early enterprise sales. Um, so it's a very good, um, I think, kind of best of both worlds where we're a financially focused venture firm, but we get the benefit of the Fortune 100 financial services uh, expertise, potential customer relationship, potential distribution relationship. So 
Uh, cybersecurity is uh, obviously an area important to MassMutual. We've got a great uh, cybersecurity group. Um, in fact, uh, about a year, year and a half ago, um, MassMutual hired a, um, a CISO named Jim Routh, who um, many of the people who listen to this podcast will certainly know. He's a rock star in the industry. And um, that uh, has been a wonderful collaboration for me to have a, a great CISO and a great team on the, on, as of uh, practitioners in cybersecurity um, helping me um, understand um, the cybersecurity space better, uh, helping me vet um, deal opportunities, um, providing opportunities themselves, um, working with some of our portfolio companies. So it's been a terrific uh, partnership. Going back to Recorded Future, um, we invested in Recorded Future in uh, spring of 2015. Uh, spring of 2016, um, Recorded Future became, uh, MassMutual became a customer. And I, I would not say that it was because we were investors. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, our cybersecurity colleagues, our data science colleagues decide what to buy. We decide what to invest in. And um, we certainly want the two to meet. But um, um, it's really up to our colleagues to decide what's the best, uh, you know, product or solution for their needs. Um, but we mm-hmm. do certainly um, make sure that our, our portfolio companies get a good look and, uh, you know, we, we facilitate as much as we can. Can you give us some insights in the in the venture capital community within, and I'm thinking particularly in in the cybersecurity vertical. Can you give us some insights as to sort of what what the ecosystem is like in terms of the the, the various players and and what what brings people into that world, folks like yourself? Um, because it's my perception that you know there are a lot of different sizes of organizations who are investing different amounts and they have interests in companies who are in different stages of their development and and so forth can can you share with us um sort of an overview of, of how you see it sure yeah it's a good question um because cybersecurity is such a hot area you do have a lot of different types um of investors starting on the early side you have um you know seed uh, stage um, angel investors, um, frequently uh, successful entrepreneurs from the cybersecurity world, of which you know there are many individuals who have who have sold companies in cybersecurity and now are out helping uh, entrepreneurs, and and that's an interesting um, you know source of of deals for us. We tip, typically start around Series A, so um, we spend mm-hmm. a lot of time socializing with the uh, the angel and the seed stage investors. Uh, so, in addition to the to those angel investors, you have. Uh, seed stage funds that are um, frequently um, either uh, either cybersecurity focused or have cybersecurity as a as a main focus area, uh, and there are several several of those. Then you have the um, cybersecurity only, you know, specifically focused funds. I think uh, off the top of my head, I would say uh, Clear Sky Ventures. Um, you got uh, Jay Leak, who was the CISO at Blackstone. Uh, joining Clear Sky uh, a year or two ago um, in the Boston area, you've got um, uh, ten eleven ventures. Mark Hatfield, um, you got Bob Ackerman at Allegis uh, Cyber mm-hmm. in Israel. Certainly, um, some excellent um, uh, seed stage funds in cyber. Um, Glilot uh, is one that I've co-invested with. YL Ventures uh, and others. So, um, you know, a really good group of. Um, of uh, of cybersecurity experts, um, um, cyber focused seed stage investment funds um, that I think do a lot of very high quality deals, and uh, I'm always eager to uh, you know see what they're doing at the seed stage and to to hopefully engage you know as the companies mature. Um, 
And then you've got, um, you know, the, the, the larger generalist funds that uh, many of which have um, cyber practices now. And, um, you know, every, everyone for all the all the ones that, uh, you know, everybody knows all the brand names, Battery, NEA, um, Sequoia, Summit, um, Kleiner Perkins, um, all have, uh, you know, significant uh, cyber uh, practices. And, and I pretty much only stuck, you know, with U.S. Um, and Israel, but obviously, you know, outside of those geographies are are still other investors. Then, of course, you have um, the the corporate uh, venture groups of cybersecurity companies or companies with some kind of cybersecurity effort. So, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's it's a broad landscape of uh, interested parties and um, um, a lot of uh, I would say a lot of smart money in cybersecurity. But it's you know it's a crowded space. It's so it's it's not easy. Do you still consider it to be a, you know a hot area? Is it still you know drawing? Is it as hot as it has been? I suppose. You know, I think it is. Um, you know, with COVID, I think last March, I think everybody was sort of waiting to see what the impact was going to be in cyber. And I think um, what would what I think people would have imagined in theory um, has played out in practice, which is that as the economy becomes increasingly digital and remote. Um, cybersecurity only becomes increasingly important. And um, I think we are, we're seeing that. Um, so I think it is the case that, um, you know, 2020 budgets, you know, top line budgets for startups probably have uh, most of them gone out the window um, with uh, sort of, you know, elongated sales cycles and drop deals and, and uh, general caution. Um, we are actually seeing uh, the opposite in some cases where, you know, things have really accelerated um, and overall, um, I think high quality cybersecurity companies are commanding very high multiples, actually. Um, you know, even in the midst of a pandemic, um, I've seen this is purely anecdotal. This is not, there's nothing uh, scientific about this, but I've seen several companies um, looking for 20 times ARR, um, you know, valuations over the last few months, which, uh, uh, you know, I kind of choke on, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's out there and, um, so I, I think that the, the persistence of the, uh, the 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 problem and needs around cybersecurity, the the always evolving threat landscape, um, the always evolving uh, threat you know techniques and vectors, uh, the always evolving innovation, because there's so many so many smart people um, in the space and so much really good uh, innovation, whether it's coming out of the the various Israeli um, you know cyber and technology programs in the army or uh, the U.S. Uh, robust ecosystem. There's just is a tremendous amount of innovation. Uh, a very you know a large market. Um, you do have I think the incumbent players who are you know the public say the public cybersecurity companies of which probably only about you know twenty or so are becoming increasingly uh, you know broad in their offering and and so becoming platforms. So you have that layer of uh, in the ecosystem that kind of upper layer of of uh, you know where, where the M and A is happening and a lot of strategic acquisitions. Um, to sort of round out the, these larger offerings, um, which does speak to the need to, um, you know, comes back to valuation. If, you, if, if a, your portfolio company is going to get picked off at, you know, between 100 and 200 million, then you better not get an evaluation of, uh, you know, 80 million posts. It's going to be, it's tough to make a living that way. Um, mm-hmm. So it is, you know, there are the, um, there are, of course, you know, the, the rare, always rare um, breakouts, but um, that, you know, like a recorded future that, you um, you know, I think uh, succeeded so well or is succeeding so well because, first of all, they, um, were, uh, you know, sort of were a category killer. I mean, they just absolutely nailed their 
you know, specific space and threat intelligence. And then, you know, by listening to the customer, we're able to offer broader and broader, uh, you know, contiguous um, solutions and offerings to, to further, you know, cement the value they brought to their, their customers. So uh, it is possible to create, you know, standalone, large, you know, uh, public or large, you know, acquisition type cybersecurity companies, but there are also a lot of, you know, smaller companies that become uh, sort of aqua hires or, you know, small acquisitions for the larger players. You know, and I think about, um, you know, personally, when I go to a trade show like RSA or, you know, one of the other tech or security conferences, one of the things I like to do is walk around the edges of the show floor (laughs) where those smaller, you know, those smaller booths are. Because, you know, you run across something that somebody has an idea that you didn't know you needed, but now you feel like you can't live without it. Um, I was wondering, you know, what what does it take to catch your eye? What what, what sort of things... uh, you know, spark your interest? Yeah, good question. Uh, so I do the same thing. Um, I walk along the edges, whether it's RSA or um, Cyber Tech in, in Tel Aviv or some of these other shows, because the, the giant booths in the middle um, aren't particularly interesting to me anymore. It's uh, it's the small right. booths. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think there are, you know, areas that we're all looking at. Um, uh, cybersecurity, I guess, like all areas of tech, um, have more than their share of buzzwords and acronyms. Um, mm. So, you know, areas of interest, um, you know, if I see startups in an area of interest that I'm seeing other startups in, so I'm starting to get a sense of a space emerging and um, and a sort of common themes. So, you know, now I'm looking for an interesting angle, you know, on that theme, um, you know, an interesting team that is um, maybe better positioned than other teams based on, you know, where they're coming from to, you know, address this emerging space. I guess, you know, areas of interest for me now, um, certainly um, uh, data privacy, data privacy as a sort of both a problem and, uh, well, sort of the the opportunity and the problem around data privacy and and data sharing. So data is obviously the, the core you know, core problem in cybersecurity, but it's also um, obviously the, a, a very big opportunity for enterprises who are increasingly putting together large data science teams and buying, you know, data science tools and platforms and training machine learning models and, um, you know, building AI algorithms. And so you get a tremendous opportunity with uh, how you can use data, but you've got an increasingly strict regulatory regime uh, that you have to be compliant with um, for how you use that data and how you share data. So the big one, obviously, is GDPR in Europe, but um, CCPA in California and um, is also uh, in effect and, and and having a major you know, impact. And there are bills in many other states, and I suspect we'll be going to a national um, you know law, sort of like GDPR in, in the EU uh, mm-hmm. around privacy. So in, in consumers, I think we're seeing are increasingly aware of the fact that um, all the free stuff they're getting, all the free Google searches and, and everything else isn't actually free. Their, their data is, their personal data is strewn across the internet um, in places they are probably not aware of and might be upset if they knew about it. And I think people are increasingly aware of, of that fact, but also um, the consequences because um, um, as people understand that data breaches are not uh, the exception, they're the rule, um, if they're inevitabilities. And so if you have a large digital footprint, um, that you are consequently more apt to suffer the consequences of a data breach. If you shrink your 
digital footprint, then you, you'll, you're less likely to suffer the consequences. On the enterprise side, um, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity uh, locked away in enterprise data. That's um, you know, not a controversial statement. Um, there are opportunities for cross-selling, um, uh, you know, either between different um, groups in the same company or, or among different sort of related companies. There's collective security. You know, if you share data for sort of, let's say, fraud, there are benefits for collective security. There's, um, you know, data sets for training machine learning models. There are all these ways that, um, you know, data analytics, data sharing can be extremely beneficial for, you know, inside an organization and, and with, uh, you know, collaboration among organizations. But it's also, um, you know, for reasons of, 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 of you know, confidentiality, wanting to keep data sets pr- uh, proprietary uh, in the regulatory um, strictures that we mentioned, uh, it's, it's hard to do. So you've got, you know, it's a huge opportunity on one side and, and a major friction on the other. So there's a whole crop of companies out there now um, helping, co- helping essentially companies share data without sharing the data. So share the data while ma- mm. maintaining the confidentiality. So there are companies to do that um, using uh, homomorphic encryption. Uh, right. uh, a company like Enveil uh, uh, or um, yep. uh, Duality. There are uh, companies, um, it's one in Israel called Kedit, Q-E-D-I-T, that using a variety of privacy-enhancing techniques uh, for the same, um, you know, sort of similar use cases. So emerging, I would say, um, space, but um, one that I think will become increasingly uh, important. What is your advice for that person who, you know, maybe coming up, maybe coming through school uh, and thinks that the VC world is an area that they'd like to pursue professionally? Any, any guidance for what, what the, the best pathway is into that? Sure. I'm, I'm given my own path. I'm probably the last person to be offering that advice since I, I essentially <laughs> your PhD in philosophy. Yeah, I essentially stumbled, stumbled into it. So, yeah, the first right, thing I would right. do is uh, get a PhD in philosophy. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think the um, venture capital is, is a is a really odd field. There's it's not like uh, accounting or law or investment banking or banking where you have a kind of or consulting. You know, where you have a real kind of set. You know, recruiting process and a, in a, in a, in a clear, you know, kind of a clear path. Um, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a small industry. It's a very you know, sort of ad hoc industry with a lot of small shops. You get obviously some big brand name shops, but a lot of small shops. Um, I would say that uh, there are lots of ways. So that's, I mean, maybe that's the, 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 the bright side is that people come into uh, venture capital through, um, either being an entrepreneur themselves or having worked at um, an early stage, you know, startup company, they come because they have, you know, expertise in a particular field like uh, software development or uh, other kinds of engineering. Um, you have people who come up through finance, uh, you know, banking and, um, you know, come up more in the sort of traditional finance uh, route, but it's, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of um, a background. So, you know, I think finance, obviously, uh, or even even um, you know, large technology companies um, as well. So it's uh, there, there's no clear path. Um, some of the larger firms will hire you know a crop of um, young people and, and sort of put them through with the idea that you know many will leave and do other things before they come back. But it's an odd industry. I think you know the best way is to you know get the relevant experience um, in a startup um, or even try to try to. Uh, you know, intern for at a VC. Um, uh, but I think the key is, you know, having just, um, you know, hired some folks uh, over the last few months. Um, I think what we ended up gravitating towards um, were people who uh, were really um, 
I hate the word passion. Everybody's talking about they're passionate about this and passionate about that. But, but you know, mm. it really um, had a feel for the venture capital industry, entrepreneurship, the startup world, and had a view on, you know, uh, a space or two, uh, you know, companies that they really admired, companies that they were watching. I, you know, I think a lot of venture capital is, you know, is teachable. Um, there's a lot of pattern recognition over time. Uh, the things that aren't teachable are, you know, enthusiasm and, 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 and real interest in, you know, in, in particular sectors, the players, the entrepreneurs, the companies in those sectors, the investors who invest in those sectors, um, and, you know, really developing a view uh, that you bring, you know, to the table. Um, the stuff about, you know, analyzing companies and financials and markets and competition, and I think that's all pretty teachable. Um, but I think, you know, having, the, having a, ba- a relevant background and a real real enthusiasm and, and interest and engagement in the startup world is probably the, the key prerequisite. Our thanks to Mark Goodman from Mass Mutual Ventures for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 